why don't, why don't we all stand? Since, we, since you're there anyway, we're going to read the Word of God together. We like to honor the Word of God. I have never seen anyone become part of a church family quicker than Lee did. He came Missions Week for the first time. By the end of the week, he was the greeter at the door. I'm not kidding you. He was just, he was just in right away. I, I've never seen anything like it, and he's been like that ever since. I just, bro, we love you. We're so glad you're part of this family. All right, here we go. Matthew 8, 27. The men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word today. Lord, let it be burning light that shatters every wrong image or incomplete image we have had of Jesus Christ. Apply ISAF to our hearts that we might see and be changed. And Lord, carry that new, fresh revelation of who Jesus is out everywhere we go. Let us be like the orange that gets squeezed and orange juice comes out. Let us be like that with Jesus, we pray. We love you. We commit this time to you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message today is, Who is this man? So point one 
Is Jesus of Nazareth the lower story? So I want us to talk about, usually in church, we think about Jesus in terms of he is our Savior, he is God, he is who we have come to believe him to be. But I want to start today with the Jesus of Nazareth that belongs to the whole world. People that aren't Christians, people that are, they they don't know who he is or they're part of other religions. Jesus of Nazareth, the lower story. I I want us to contemplate who Jesus is with just the lower story for a moment. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He never wrote a book. Yet in the Library of Congress, there are 32 million books. It's the largest collection of books in the world. And there are more books written about Jesus of Nazareth in that library than any other man that has ever lived or person that's ever lived. He split time. Every time you write a check and put today's date, every time you put the date, today's date in your diary, you are acknowledging his birth. Our entire time system is based on when he appeared. B.C. is before Christ. A.D. means the day of the Lord. It's the day that he was born. Now, I realize in our secularized version, we've gone away from that, and now it's B.C.E., which means before the common era, to kind of secularize it. But here's the funny thing. Uh, When did we start the common era? When Jesus was born. (laughs) It It really doesn't change anything. In 1999, Time Magazine asked America to vote for the person of the century. And you could mail your vote in, you could email your vote in, and they collected votes for the person that was the person of the 20th century. The top vote getter with 900,000 votes was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, because he hadn't walked the earth in this century, they had to give it to another guy named Albert Einstein but he was the top vote-getter. Killing Jesus author Bill O'Reilly writes this, Christians attribute Jesus' popularity to his message of love, hope, and truth, but also to his miraculous healings. But even non-believers must admit that something extraordinary was happening in Galilee. There is no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth is the most famous human being the world has ever known. But Jesus had no infrastructure. He had no government behind him. He had no corporation. He and his disciples depended upon the charity of others for food and shelter. And they had no organization other than a dozen faithful followers. In the history of mankind, no one has achieved worldwide fame with no outside resources whatsoever. In the case for Christ, Lee Strobel interviews Dr. Edwin Yamochi, uh, a doctor of history, and asks him what we would know historically about Jesus 
if we didn't have access to any Christian writings about him, here is Yamauchi's response. So this is without the New Testament. Just if we just had secular writings about Jesus, this is what we would know. We would know that first, Jesus was a Jewish teacher. Second, that people believed that he performed healings and exorcisms. Third, some people believed he was the Messiah. Fourth, he was rejected by the Jewish leaders. Fifth, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate in the reign of Tiberius. Sixth, despite this shameful death, his followers, who believed he was still alive, spread beyond Palestine so that there were multitudes of them in Rome by A.D. 64. And seventh, all kinds of people from the cities and countryside, men and women, slave and free, worshipped him as God. Jesus of Nazareth. Now I want to turn to the New Testament and I want to follow the journey of the disciples. So they start out following a rabbi. Rabbi means teacher. This was the custom of the day. If you had a, a famous teacher who asked you to follow him, you would, it was a privilege to be asked into the inner circle. And so they call him rabbi. They call him teacher. And they know right from the beginning, he's an extraordinary teacher. He teaches as one who has authority, unlike the Pharisees and scribes that are always quoting everybody else. Jesus speaks with an authority that they don't know where it comes from. It's accompanied by him casting out demons and healing the sick. It's extraordinary. But it's this event where, where there is a huge storm, and they are fishermen. And there is a huge storm that is life-threatening, and he stands up and rebukes the wind and the waves, and they obey him. And these guys look at each other and they're like, what kind of a man is this? What kind of a man is this? Who is this? So Jesus asks this question. Who do people say that I am? They give all the answers and then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this, but the Father in heaven has shown you this. And I, I, just, I, I just need to take a very quick time out right here. When we talk about finding Jesus, that, that's really not, that's a very man centered. <laughs> It's really, Jesus has to find you. It's, it's very much, the most we can do is admit we're lost and allow God to find us, allow God to save us. When you come to faith in Christ, it's because something was revealed to you. You don't just come on your own. Jesus draws you, the Father draws you. And when you truly believe that is actually God finding you, not you figuring it out. So that's, that's just a little sidelight here. So 
Right answer, Peter. The only problem is, is their concept of Messiah and who, what the Son of God would be, it's, it, it, it's from Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, God says um, about his anointed, which is where we get Christ and anointed, it's the same word, that the nations are raging against him, but God is laughing in his heaven, and he has declared, the decree of the Lord is this, is uh, today... I say this, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That, that the Messiah, the anointed one, would be born into history. He would be God's son, which speaks of a miraculous birth. And, and then it says this in 2.9. It says that you will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And he says, kings of the earth, take notice. You need to kiss the sun lest you be destroyed. This is a powerful Messiah. In Peter's mind, the problem, the big problem of earth is this temporal problem of Roman oppression. And the answer is, it's a temporal answer. It's the Messiah coming and basically kicking butt. Messiah's going to come and kick butt, and we, when he appears, th this thing is over, and our problems are going to go away because Messiah is here. And so when, when Jesus starts talking about suffering and being rejected and dying on the cross, Peter is like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is no, no none of this is going to happen. That's, that's not who we're worshiping. That's not who you are. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You, you have in mind the interests of man. You are seeing with man's eyes, not God's eyes. Jesus at his second coming will fulfill every prophecy. That's another sermon, but the first time he came... He had a very different purpose than what the disciples were hoping for. Matthew 22, 41 through 46. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, Who do you think, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word to him in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So they're trying to grasp Messiah. Jesus asked them the question, tell me, who is Messiah? And they're, they're, they, they got the answer. We know this. We know it from Samuel. We know it from the Psalms. He is the son of David. He's going to be born of the line of David. David was king, and Messiah is going to be a greater king. He's going to, he's going to inherit David's throne. He is, he is coming when he appears. He is the son of David. And Jesus says, Really? Then why, when David was alive 
did David call him Lord at that time? He wasn't just going to be a man descended from David. He was already God when David was king. He said to the Pharisees in John 8, 58, he said, before Abraham was, I am. They knew, they knew exactly, they picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy because he was claiming to be God. He was claiming to be the I am of the Old Testament. They did not grasp that Messiah was not just going to be God, the Son of God. He was going to be God, the Son. That he was going to be, as Isaiah said, mighty God, Emmanuel, God in our midst. So Peter and James and John have this experience. They, are, they climb this mountain with Jesus. He invites them, and all of a sudden, the human wrappings evaporate, and Jesus, the glory of Jesus starts shining like the sun right in front of them. With him appear Moses and Elijah. And Peter is excited. It is so right that we are, this is an amazing experience. And he's got a suggestion. Why don't we make three tabernacles? One for you, Lord, and then one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, he's already been rebuked by Jesus. Now he's going to be rebuked by the Father. All of a sudden, a cloud appears. The heavenly voice speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the cloud raises, they see no one except Jesus alone. What what is the rebuke? Here's the rebuke. Don't, Don't make my son the best guy that's ever lived. You need to get him out of the comparisons of people. He's in a category of one. He's not the best man, the greatest man. He is more than a man. He is the son of God. He is God the son. And then Jesus said this to them. (laughs) Don't tell anybody about any of this until until after I have been raised from the dead. You guys think you know a lot and you think because you've had something that you already know stuff that you don't even know. Just, just sit on this one. You can ima- This is probably the toughest command he ever gave to Peter. Don't talk about this. Meditate on it. In that time, every small, weak vision of Jesus was broken in Peter. 30 years after the experience, he writes about the experience. Remember, Jesus said, you can tell about it after I'm rose from the dead. Here it is, 30 years later, 2 Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him, from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves 
heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying, we experienced firsthand his glory, his majesty, his divinity. And we have been given the prophetic word. Jesus said to the apostles, the Holy Spirit's going to bring back to to your remembrance everything I've said. The, The word of God that is written, it reveals Jesus Christ. It is the prophetic word. And Peter said, here's how it works. As you pay close attention to it, as you study it, as you meditate on it, there is going to be a revelation of who he is that's going to rise in your heart. He is the morning star. You will see him more clearly. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that the eyes of their heart might be opened, that they might see him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, right now we see him We're unveiled. The the veil is gone. Jesus' blood has taken away the veil between us and God. We see him now with unveiled faces, but as in a mirror. Mirrors in those days were brass, so so it's it's dimly as in a mirror. We don't see him perfectly yet because we're on this side. But he said every glimpse we do get changes us from glory to greater glory. Come as you are. Come just as you are. But you will not stay how you are. We are changed from every glimpse we get. Every, every insight we get into who he is changes us from the inside out. So let's talk about our process today. Here's my experience. I grew up in church and my first my first vision of Jesus was a religious Jesus. What, 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 what do you mean by that? Well, it wasn't really exposed until I was in high school. I was probably a junior in high school. We had some cute girls that wanted me to go to this retreat. I knew that the retreat was a Jesus freak type thing, but these were cute girls, and hey, they wanted me to come, so I went along. Um, and I, I really didn't know what they believed. I just, I knew they were into Jesus and I knew it was a little different than whatever I had. And, and so one of the nights, late at night, two of the girls took me aside to tell me what they believe. And they were telling me that Jesus is the Savior. He is the only way to heaven. That he is the unique son of God and that you have to, you, you have to get saved. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, not, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus was the head of my religion. And everybody's got their own religion, and Jesus happens to be the head of mine, and, um, and your way is just as good as my way. And the idea that there was one way, and that Jesus was the way, and that some people were the saved and other people weren't seemed so arrogant and so intellectually unacceptable to me. That my, my whole vision of who Jesus was was exposed 
I believed he was the head of Christianity, just like Buddha was in charge of Buddhism and Muhammad was in charge of Islam and just another religious leader. Well, that changed my freshman year of college. How it happened really had more to me about me realizing that I was a sinner that needed a savior. When the gospel was presented and it showed where God was and where I was and what sin had caused and I was asked, am am I the one running my life or is God running my life? Uh, There was no doubt in my mind. I I was in charge and I was filled with sin and I needed a savior. I could own that. I could own, mm, yep, if I'm going to get right with God, it's probably going to be because something God did, not something I did. And so I knew Jesus, I, I came to know Jesus as my Savior. And I started in my own way, following him and going to church and reading the Bible and, and then glimpse after glimpse after glimpse after glimpse This vision of who Jesus is has absolutely transformed me. Today I can say, Jesus, Jesus is my best friend. I can say today that Jesus is the ever-present help in the time of trouble. Has anybody noticed how much trouble we have down here? Seriously, it's like I need him all the time. Every day. I have found that he is not beyond helping me with little things. Like... When I lose stuff, Lord, you know where it is. God, you know I don't know where it is. And and he's just, he's amazing. He is amazing. I have found him glimpse after glimpse as the one that has become the passion of my heart. The one who is, has my devotion, the one that has my worship and awe. This is who he's become to me. So we, we've been doing the story this, this year and, and, and the three services on Sunday and Tuesday night will have a testimony. And it's so funny. These stories are so funny. In, for two reasons. One, they are so different. Everybody's got a different story, a different perspective, a different upbringing. I don't know about you, but have you been shocked by some of the stories? It's like, whoa, I did not know that. They're very different. But they're also surprising in how much the same they are. It's, it's Jesus is the hero in every story. How Jesus found them how God's love was revealed to them, how that changed absolutely everything and is still changing everything in their life. Amazing. A few weeks ago, we were in Montevideo for vacation, not preaching, just to go back. I served there as pastor for 11 years. So we went back just to reconnect with friends, to actually just be in the church that we had pastored all those years and um, enjoying people there. We were staying at uh, some friend's house there and 
Uh, I always get up very early, and so I'm up early. I'm the only one up and having my quiet time. And I noticed this book that uh, this, the wife has on this bookshelf. And here's the title of the book. It's called, I Dared to Call Him Father. It was, it was published in 1978. It sold over 300,000 copies. And it's a story of a Muslim woman named Bilquis Sheik, prominent Muslim woman, that in the mid-60s was abandoned by her husband. I do not say divorced, because that's not how they do it. She was still married to him, but he took another wife on, a newer version, a younger version, and she, she was kind of abandoned to this, her own house that was more like a mansion and had gardens and she had servants. And, and, but she just, she was so hurt and so bitter that her whole life was just inside these grounds. And it was during this time that she started experiencing dreams about Jesus. So many and so intense that she set up a secret meeting with Christian missionaries and asked for a Bible in her own language. And they, they got her a Bible. And she started reading the Bible. And she was grabbed, just, just grabbed a hold of by who Jesus was in the Gospels. She tells about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And because this is just, you hold up Christianity to Islam, and this story, first, it would be the way it would be. Just the woman would be the one ready to be stoned. Even though they both committed adultery, only the woman is the one that's going to be punished for it. And then this idea of Jesus saying, whoever has not sinned, throw the first stone, and them dropping their stones. And then Jesus looking at her and saying, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. She said, there's nothing in the world, nothing in my world that was anything like this. But to understand her conversion, you've got to understand her relationship with her own earthly father. (laughs) <laughs> she, it was a very, very male-dominated society where sons are highly favored and women are treated less than that, but not her. She grew up knowing that she was greatly loved and favored by her dad. Yeah, her, her brothers got other things, but she knew at any time she could knock on her father's door and he would say, come in, and she could always sit on his left. And she had the right to ask him any question, anytime. And she knew nothing but gentleness and love and this sense of favor from her father. So she finally, she comes to this point where she has to know. And she's got the Quran in one hand and she has the Bible in the other hand. And she says, God, I have to know which one of these is true. And here's what God speaks to her. The one who introduces me as father. Jesus said, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And she became this radical Christian, knowing going in, I will lose everything. But Jesus is worth it. talk to you about a young man who came to visit me. It was so funny. He's clearly been in our services before because the first that we sit down together, first thing he says to me is, uh, Pastor Tom, everything that happens here, you are free to share on a Sunday morning. (laughs) He knows I like to protect confidences and I don't want to share something that was said in private unless I've been given permission. He said, just whatever happens here, you're, go for it. You say it wherever you want to say it. And so here's what happened. Just a young man, great, great young man, good heart, uh, intense mind. And he just wanted to get, get down and talk about it. How can Jesus be the only way? How can, Jesus be, how can Jesus be the way to heaven and, and every Muslim, Buddhist, Jehovah Witness, Mormon, all going to hell and we've got the one way and how can Jesus be the only way? I said, bro, first, let me say this. It's not, it's not quite like you're describing. There is one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ, through his blood and through his shed blood and his resurrection, there is only one way to God, Jesus Christ. But there are many ways to find Jesus. I, I gave the example of the publican. Jesus said, he beat his chest, and he said, God have mercy on me, a sinner, and Jesus said, he went away forgiven. How did he go away forgiven? He never mentioned Jesus. He didn't pray the sinner's prayer. How did he go away forgiven? Well, let me assure you, the way that anybody is forgiven is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even if you can't name it exactly, even if you don't know exactly how it came, This is how God offers a right relationship with God, is through Christ. If God had to wait till everything was lined up in our mind before he released forgiveness, how many know he'd be waiting a long time? (laughs) To whom's been given little light, little is required. But this young man had a lot of light. He knew a lot. And I said, bro, I said, here's what's going on right now with you. You are standing on a precipice. There is a massive cavern between you and God. You can see on the other side, on the other bank, is a relationship with God, heaven, and love, joy, peace, patience, everything God has. It's all there. And here you are at this precipice, and you are offended that there is not a bridge right in front of you. Because you think that there should be a bridge in front of everybody and that everybody should be able to come however they want to. And I said, bro, what you need to do instead is you need to humble yourself. And you need to thank God that there is a bridge, even though it's not right in front of you right now. There is one bridge over here called Jesus Christ called his death and resurrection. There is a way back to God through Jesus. And instead of you standing here and being offended because you think there should be a bridge right in front of everybody, 
You need to humble yourself, humble your mind, and move your worldview over to where there is a bridge. Jesus Christ. We're all in process. We're all in process. And you will, you will be clawing, scratching. Uh, until you move over to that bridge, you're going to be convinced there is no such thing as spiritual truth. There's just everybody's touching the elephant in a different place and every religion is the same. Until you come, there is a treasure map, folks. It's called the Bible. And the axe is Jesus. That's where you dig. Now, I want to talk about digging for a moment. Paul probably had the greatest revelation of Jesus of any human being. He said, we see in part, then we'll see fully as we fully know. We, just, we need to start with this. However much you've seen of Jesus, it's partial. <laughs> you, you don't have the full package. If you saw the full package, you'd probably die. I, I don't know that we could handle the full package. So he just, he said, we're seeing in part. Let me tell you what that part that Paul said that he had received did for Paul. Philippians 3, he says this. Everything else in my life is dung compared to the excellency of knowing Christ. Jesus, the value of Jesus, the value I see in Jesus, the beauty, the power, the, the, who he is, has made everything else in my life seem kind of small. Jesus is the treasure, Matthew 13, 44, hidden in a field, that when somebody finds him, really finds him, for joy, they sell everything so that they realize, oh my, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, that I might own that field and have that treasure. So Jesus comes to the church at Laodicea. The church, believers. And he says, you guys are blind. <laughs> You're living blind right now. I'm knocking at the door. I have eye salve for you so that you can see. Sometimes believers are, are living blind. Sometimes it's not that we're blind completely. It's just we've got blurry vision. Sometimes we have double vision. And Jesus is knocking at the door and saying, I, I, I want to show you more. The way fire comes to our hearts is by seeing him, by beholding him. Charles Spurgeon said this, uh, we can have the worship team come. He said this about the church in England at his time. The church in England is a mile wide and an inch deep. I, I think it's a great description of the church in America today. We've said the prayer. We're in. But guys, this world needs more than us just to be in. They need us to blaze. They, they need, they need us. And the only way that happens is for Jesus to show us more of who he is. That we would get more and more and more of a mount of transfiguration experience where our hearts 
come alive to who he is. So I'm going to pray for one group and then we're going to sing a song. Um, Can we bow our heads, close our eyes just for a moment? If you are here today and maybe you've just had a religious Jesus and today you know you need a savior. You you need more than just somebody that's the head of the religion. You You need a savior today. And right now you know that Jesus is speaking to you. He's knocking at your door. He says this, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And if that is you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is between you and God, but I do want to pray for you. If that is you, would you just raise your hand right now, high, long enough for me to see it. We're going to pray that prayer. I got you, bro. God bless you. You can put that hand down all over the place. Other hands. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. Two hands in the back. God bless you. Would you just put that hand on your heart right now and pray something like this? Jesus, I need you to come and save me. I open the door of my heart and of my life. Son of God, God the Son, come in and save me. Be the hero in my story. I receive by faith, even right now, the gift of eternal life in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand together? We're going to sing this song together and then, then we'll close in prayer. Who is this King of glory that pursues me with his love and haunts me with each hearing of his softly spoken words? My conscience a reminder of forgiveness that I need Who is this King of glory Who offers it to me His name is Jesus Precious Jesus Lord Almighty, King of my heart, King of glory, who is this King of glory, oh blessed Prince of Peace, revealing things of heaven. And all its mysteries My spirit's ever longing For His grace in which to stand Who is this King of glory Son of God and Son Jesus, 
King of my heart, King of glory, His name is Jesus, oh precious Jesus, Lord Almighty, King of my Opening your arms like this in the receive position. Lord, we're limited as people based on a limited vision of who you are. We are limited as a church. As long as we have a limited vision of who you are, we're going to be limited in our lives, in our fruit, in everything. Come on, Lord. Open the eyes of our heart. Jesus, we need that ISAF. Lord, break that small image of Jesus that he's just the one that's going to solve my temporal problems. And my big problem is just my temporal little thing and trying to get you to just make our life a little more comfortable. Lord, break that vision in Jesus' name. Show us that transcendent vision of your glory where even suffering for you becomes, this is a privilege. These momentary weights, these momentary afflictions are not worthy to be compared to the eternal glory that is ours in you. Come on, Lord, open our hearts. Open our eyes. Take us deeper. Lord, make us burning, shining lights. That, Lord, not only do we have a revelation of who Jesus is in us, but it's one that we carry with us everywhere we go. Lord, we want to take time to thank you today for Lee. Thank you for making him a sign and a wonder. Thank you that wherever he goes, he's just bringing, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer. Lord, would, would you help each of us to burn? For your glory, God, for our good. Lord, for the good of this world that desperately needs hope. We love you and we bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, guys. We're going to have ministry teams down front if you want more prayer. Um, have a great week. Bless you.